we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 1 and consider tonight a church prayer list. Uh, but before we do that together, I wanted to hear from you uh, about some verses on prayer that have meant a lot to you. So if I could get a couple of gentlemen to get back up and to grab a couple more microphones, uh, we'll take five or six if you want to uh, open your Bibles to a verse on prayer that has been meaningful and impactful to you and share that with the congregation because prayer matters, church. I mean, prayer matters. Prayer is essential for the Christian, and it is essential for the church. It matters. And so tonight, uh, before we get into Philippians chapter 1, I want to hear from the congregation. What are some verses on prayer that have been impactful in your life? You raise your hand. I'm one of these fine gentlemen to get you a microphone. Brother Ken. Amen. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Amen. Amen. I've always loved how that verse, it exchanges our anxiety for thanksgiving. <laughs> Brother Chuck. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Amen. Amen. Who else tonight? A verse on prayer. Verse on prayer. Miss Roberta or Gene Cutcher. Uh, just simple. Uh, first Thessalonians is five seventeen. Pray without ceasing. Amen. Amen. Miss Roberta. My mom was always one that prayed, and um, Acts six four is my life verse. It says, "But we will give your." Give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Amen. Amen. Who else tonight? A couple more. Verses on prayer. Mrs. Barry, we'll get you a microphone. Um, I, John 17 is Jesus' prayer. And we had a wonderful lady from the Dominican Republic in one of the churches that we went to up in Toledo. And she did a study. You know, we did a Bible study on Wednesday nights. And I just remember her teaching us how to pray by using chapter 17 and mm. Jesus' example of how to pray and who to pray for. Amen. John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer to the Father for us. Amen. One more, Aaron Petrie. Uh, I... <laughs> I, I like the stories of prayer. So one for mm. our family, I'm, I won't read all of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, but, but the story of Hannah praying for a baby. And there, mm. there are a lot of other stories, but the stories of prayer really impact me. Amen. Amen. It looks like we got one more in the back. Uh, Mr. Evan, yes, sir. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them who ask him? Amen. Amen. Church, there's a lot of verses that encourage us to pray. Amen. A lot of verses that uh, provide us promises on prayer. And church, prayer is essential to the Christian life and to the church life. Uh, tonight, I want to look, and this may end up being a study of sorts, uh, where we continue it in, on Wednesday nights to come off and on throughout the year. But we're going to look on developing a biblical church prayer list. So I invite you to look tonight, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 9 through 11 together. And uh, once you found it, I ask if you would stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 
number nine, Paul wrote this. He said, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Church tonight, let's start to develop a church prayer list. Father, we love you. Be with us tonight. I pray as we look into your word. Help us, I pray, to even now, Lord, consciously open our hearts. Consciously, Lord, come to you and ask that you might open our eyes tonight, that we might behold wondrous things from your word, that you might search us and know us, try us and lead us. Father, tonight, I pray even in this moment, we would commit ourselves to hear and to heed all that you'd have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you look at the Apostle Paul, and you look throughout the multitude of things that he wrote in the New Testament, I find few are Paul's prayers for physical needs. Now, it's not that Paul didn't pray for physical needs. I mean, we find in the book of Corinthians that three times he prayed for a thorn in the flesh, that it might be uh, taken away from him. And so it wasn't that Paul didn't pray for physical needs, but what we find as we study the life of Paul and we study the ministry of Paul, we find that few are Paul's prayers for physical needs. On the flip side of that, we find that many are Paul's prayers for spiritual matters. We find in Romans that he prays for unity. We find in other epistles that he prays for open doors, for boldness, for love, for compassion, for all these different things Paul prays for. And so many are Paul's prayers for spiritual matters. We have it a little bit backwards, don't we, in our day and age, in our culture. Not meant to necessarily be critical, just just descriptive. You look at our church prayer list, it is filled with, by and large, oh, it's on my desk, is by and large filled with what? Physical needs. As we listen to the prayer requests that came in tonight, they were by and large what? They were by and large physical needs. And I'm afraid what happens sometimes is we live in a culture that is so obsessive over the physical uh, that it has crept its way into the church where we have become very obsessive and we really have become uh, almost uh, tunnel visioned on the physical things of this life. But there's so much more than just the physical aspects of this life. So what I want to do is I want to look at the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for the churches. Now, if the Apostle Paul prayed these things for these churches, don't you think these would be good things for us to pray for our church as well? So let's look at this tonight, and we're going to start to build our church prayer list. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We see in verse number 9, Paul said, In this I pray, that your, what is it, church? Love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. First thing we're going to add to our prayer list tonight is that we as a church would grow in our devotion. That we would grow in our love. Love, specifically of the agape variety, holds the highest of places in the Christian life. Jesus in Matthew 22, beginning in verse number 37 
He answered the question, what is the greatest commandment with this? That thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. He continued, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Look at his summary. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, it really ain't that complicated. Love God, love others. I tell my kids when I drop them off for school, love God, find a way, love God today, love others today. And then I had kick butt at the end, but that's just my carnal side coming out. But love holds the highest of places in the Christian life. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5 says this. Now the end. When it says end here, it means the pointed aim. Not the conclusion, but this is what we're shooting for, folks. The end of the commandment. The pointed aim of God's word is charity. What is charity? Charity is love. love. I have a pure heart and have a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1, Paul wrote, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Love holds the highest of places in the Christian life. Paul said in Romans chapter 13, in verse number 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Why? For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. We could go on and on, but I think you get the point. Love, especially of the agape variety, holds the highest of places in the Christian life. And I want you to note Paul's prayer here. Paul's prayer is that the church of Philippi would specifically abound more and more in love. Now, the church would abound. The word abound means to overflow, to flood, to exceed the limits. So church, I wonder, when's the last time love made our prayer list? God, help me to love more and more. Help me to abound, to overflow in love. Who should we love? Should we love God? Church, should we love God? Should we love other believers? Should we love the world? I mean, not in a carnal way, like wanting the world, but should we love the world like God loves the world? Should we love our enemies? Yes, 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 yes. If I were to take this bottle of water, and I were to take a small cup, oh, I'll do it, why not? And I were to pour it into the cup of my hand, eventually that water is going to do what? It's going to overflow. Now what happens when it overflows? It goes everywhere. When that water starts overflowing, when my hand abounds in water, am I able to say, no, 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 I just want that to go to David. Or I just want that to go to Mr. Brown. Or I just want that to go to Miss Kathy. No, when it abounds in floods, it just goes everywhere. While well, I got it, why not, right? 
Paul says, I pray that your love may abound. Man, when's the last time we asked God for that? God, help me to abound in love. By the way, God is our great example in that. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We read over that, but let me ask you, is there much that's very lovely about this world? Not really. I mean, like the creation itself is beautiful, but you see what man has done, not only to creation, but to each other. Is there really that much lovable about this world? Not, not really. And yet God so loved the world that what he gave his only begotten son. But if that's not flooding, overflowing love, I don't know what is. The Bible says he sendeth rain, a picture of his blessing on the just and on the unjust. Put in context here, and I'll, I'll, I'll give more context in a minute, so stay with me. True love, true love overflows. You know what? When I look at the world, there are some people I don't really want to love. Am I the only carnal one? Sometimes I see some of them things on the internet. That's a great place to go if you want to get mad. I see some of them things on the internet, or I'll go to Cedar Point, and I'll see some things at Cedar Point, or I go to Walmart. I mean, come on now. We live in a rotten world. And there are just some things that I don't want to love. Here's the problem, though. God loves them. And God died for them. And if God loved them and died for them, then I need to love them, too. You know, maybe that's why it made Paul's prayer list. That I might abound in love. It overflows. It exceeds its limits. It floods. Now let me give this caveat. True love knows its limits, though. Love is not lust, and love never condones sin. Again, God is our great example. God's vast, eternal, limitless love does not violate his holiness. And just because God loves the world and the Bible very clearly teaches that he desires all men to be saved does not mean that there is no hell. And it does not mean that there are no consequences. Love, as we find in verse number 9, not only is to abound, but is to be grounded in knowledge and all judgment. More on this in the second point tonight. But the beautiful thing about love is though love has its limits, it works limitlessly. Agape love within the body promotes tranquility within the church. Colossians 3 and verse number 14 says this, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Do we want to have a strong bond as a church? Do we want to be unified? Then we need love. 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 and verse number 8 says, And above all things have fervent Charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Buddy, the church needs love. The church needs love. We need to love one another. Because here's the thing, I'm going to fall and so are you. I say it, people plus personalities always equals problems. And that includes the local church. Because eventually I'm going to take your parking spot. Or sister so-and-so is going to sit in your pew. 
Or brother so-and-so is not going to talk to you or he's going to talk to you too much. One of the two. I mean, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to mess up. We are going to fall and to stumble. And it's not always pretty, amen? But when we have fervent charity among ourselves, what happens? For charity, love shall cover the multitude of sins. Maybe that's why Paul put it on the prayer list. Love promotes tranquility within the church and love provides a testimony without the church. Jesus said in John 13 and beginning in verse 34, he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The greatest testimony we can have is not a great brand new digital church sign. The greatest testimony we can have is not a 200 foot radio tower. The greatest testimony we, can't, we can have is not the, the sharpest of gospel tracts and literature that we're putting door to door. What I think the greatest testimony that we can have is for this community to know that the love of Christ is here. Maybe that's why it made it onto Paul's prayer list for this church. Church, let me ask you, when's the last time we asked God to grow our love? When's the last time we ask God to help us to abound, to exceed, to overflow in love, to see fellow saints and to see lost sinners as he does and to love them as such? You know, maybe it would be good on the church prayer list that just below Aunt Sally's ingrown toenail, we put love. That God would help us abound therein. What's the first item to add to the prayer list tonight? That God might help us grow in devotion, to abound in love. But look at verse number 10. He gives us another one. Not only verse 9, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. But verse number 10, he says that you may approve things that are excellent. So what are we going to add to the prayer list, church? Number one, we're going to add what? That God might what? Grow us in Devotion. Number two, we're going to add that God might grow us in discernment. That God might grow us in discernment. Paul says that ye may approve things that are excellent. So if our word for number one was that we might abound, be able to abound, our word for number two is that we might be able to approve. Approving things that are excellent speaks to our discernment as believers. Now, discernment is a sign of maturity and growth. We see this example uh, uh, made in the scriptures. Hebrews 5 and verse number 14. Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, with growth, with maturity comes discernment. To know what is good, to know what is better, to know what is best, to know what is right, to know what is wrong. Babies like baby food. I like meat. Amen and amen. Paul here was praying that the church might have wisdom, that the church might have discernment, to be able to put things to the test, to know what things were right and to know what things were best. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, Paul admonishes to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance <coughs> of evil. So wisdom and discernment to put things to the test in order to find that which is right and that which is best. So approving the right is essential as reproving the wrong. It's an important thing for us to be able to do. Why? Because the church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 5 tells us that the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of truth. And so if you can't go to the church of God to find what is right and what is wrong, then buddy, we're in a bigger hurt than I thought we were. And by the way, church, Everybody wants to get into these long semantic arguments and what ifs and what abouts and what my second cousin once heard and, you know, his mama on his daddy's side once experienced and everybody wants to, at the end of the day, it's still enough to say, thus saith the Lord, period. And that's enough. That's enough. It is still enough to say, thus saith the Lord. But I look at the church the things that call themselves churches. And I wonder, where has our discernment gone? How are we so confused? Remember I told you the internet's a great place to go if you, if you want to get angry sometimes. So like, you look at this crazy stuff that's out there. Apparently there was a Methodist church this past week that had a drag queen deliver a sermon. They used, I think, Romans 12.2 as basis, that they weren't being conformed. They were being renewed in their mind. And I'm, I, I have no words. And I thought that was beyond awful. And then I read today that apparently the Church of England is going to um, put together a group of people to look into whether or not we need to, how do they say it, <sighs> rethink gender pronouns concerning God. Do we need a gender-neutral God? My answer is, since Jesus called him Father, probably not. Again, I mean, you know, crazy Jesus, but still. I mean, our world is nuts. Where has our discernment gone? And it seems like the whole world, everybody's got to live by the 11th commandment. And I love several people have defined the 11th commandment as thou shalt be vaguely nice to one another. And that the other ten no longer matter. Just so long as we're vaguely nice to one another. Where has our discernment gone? Church, you look at the statistics for sexual sins like pornography, adultery, and divorce. They are the same in the church as out of the church. Where has our discernment gone? We need to pray that God would give us discernment. We live in a culture that calls right wrong and wrong right. We need to pray that God would give us discernment. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 10, says, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We need to pray that God would give us discernment again. But I'm going to tell you, discernment's more than approving what is acceptable. Discernment also entails us being able to approve what is excellent. As Paul says here, 
He says that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may test and know and discern the things that are excellent, which simply means that you might be able to identify that which is best. You know what? I think there was a reason that Paul had it on his prayer list that God would help this church to prize and prioritize that which was of value and hold loosely to the things that were not. You see that we're prone to settle for fool's gold. It's shiny. I, I mean, it's attractive and it looks pretty. And boy, it doesn't really cost you that much to get. And we're so attracted to fool's gold. We settle for fool's gold. And I'm going to tell you, we need to pray that God would give us the discernment to approve what is best. So much of the church today wants to settle for crowds, for excitement, for entertainment, for acceptance. You know what? Here's the thing. I like it when the pews are full too. I do. I think it's great when the pews are full. I think it's great when, when it's, it's, it's apparent that the Holy Spirit is moving in the service and people are preaching with me. But here's the thing. If that's what we are shooting for, I'm going to tell you, we're settling for fool's gold. If what we want is just full pews, we're settling for fool's gold. Because that's not the biblical model. We need discernment. And you know, honestly, this whole thing of discernment, of wisdom, is like one of the hardest things to... Just because we've always done it doesn't mean we should and doesn't mean we shouldn't. We need discernment, yeah. And just because it looks good and sounds good and feels good doesn't mean we should. But it also doesn't mean we shouldn't. We need discernment. We need discernment. We need to say, Lord... We have all these options on the table. Lord, what would you have? What is good? What is better? What is best? God, what would you have us to do? The thing about fool's gold is, is it's cheap and fairly easily attainable, which is why you have a lot of churches that act like country clubs and life coaches. We don't need country clubs and life coaches. We need people who are willing to go to the gates of hell and show people that there's a way out of the fire. That they don't have to die and stay there. Church good is the enemy of best. Here's the thing. This isn't in my notes. It may be the cold medicine talking. So that's plausible deniability if it goes off the rails. So you're not allowed to be offended by what I'm about to say. You know, so often churches, they don't struggle when they struggle. So, like, when it's tough, or finances are a little bit touch and go, or there's been a loss, or there's been a tragedy, or there's been something, churches don't often struggle when they struggle. What happens is the struggle causes us to do what? To come together. 
to band together. We're going to see it through together. You know where churches most often struggle? Churches most often struggle when they're in a season of blessing. When the financial struggle is not there. Churches don't fight about money until there's money to fight about. I mean, that's, that's just the flat truth. Nobody's fighting about money when you're three quarters of a million dollars in debt. We're just saying, let's pay it, let's pay it, let's pay it. Nobody's fighting about money when you're in debt. Nobody's fighting about whose pew it is when, when you're coming together and you're praying. Nobody's talking about whose parking spot it is. But, but so often, the blessings of God prove fertile ground for the divisiveness of Satan. You know, church, we've seen God bless in some special ways over the last couple of years. We have. We've seen God bless and seeing souls saved and seeing families join the church, people discipled. We've seen God bless and bringing the staff members we need when we need them. God's blessing in the Christian school. God's blessing in the radio station. God's blessing in the budget. God's blessing all over. I mean, we baptized twice in January. God is good. But here's the thing. You know what? That means if we're not careful, we're ripe for the devil to get in. And to sow seeds of discord. You know what we need? We need discernment. We need discernment. God, show us what is best. And let us as a church run after it with all we are. Maybe we should add it to our church prayer list. That God would help us to grow in discernment, to approve that which was, that which is excellent. Adding some things to the church prayer list tonight. Number one, we, we're praying that God would allow us to grow in what? Grow in our devotion. Number two, that God would allow us to grow in our discernment. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, look back, verse number nine, Paul wrote in this, I pray that your love may abound, overflow, flood, exceed its limits more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We need to grow in our devotion that we might abound in love. We need to grow in our discernment that God might allow us to approve that which is excellent. Number three tonight from verse 10 and verse 11 that we might grow in our demonstration. Or if I might give another A word here that we might apply. Apply those things that we have talked about. If I'm to abound in love and to approve that which is excellent... It really is of no use to anyone if it stays with me. I like the little saying, love is only viable when it's visible. John put it this way, 1 John 3 and verse number 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Grow in our demonstration. 
If I'm going to know what's right and what's wrong and it doesn't affect my life, then what good is it? I have to make application of those things, of that love and of that discernment. And they must be allowed to change the way I live. Note Paul here had a couple of things as he talked about their demonstration. Verse number 10, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Uh, That word there, sincere, it literally means to be unmixed in substance or to be pure. It has the idea of that which holds up when examined or tested by the light. Back in the day, what they would do is they would have these marble statues that they would sell. And if the statues became cracked or they became chipped, uh, the sellers would obviously still want to be able to sell them at top value. So what they would do is they would take some wax and they would incorporate that into this marble statue so that from an outward look, you could not tell that there was a flaw, that there was a crack, that there was a chip, that there was something wrong with the statue. So the way of testing it was to hold it up to the light. Because the marble would be solid, but the wax would show that it was translucent in nature. And so this word sincere, it literally means to be unmixed in its substance. It was like a statue that required no wax. And it is the admonition that you and I as Christians need to pray that the Lord would help us to be right And to be right for the right reason. To be sincere, pure, unmixed in substance, inside and out. You know, you can be wrong but still be sincere of sorts. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be deceived. I think from time to time... Pharmacies may give out wrong medication and you may take them with all good intention. But if you thought you were taking an antibiotic and they gave you some other crazy pill, it doesn't matter how sincere your intentions were, it still hurts. And so you can be wrong but sincere, you're deceived and it still still hurts. Here's the other side, you can be right and you can be insincere. That makes you a hypocrite. To do the right thing, but to be insincere about it, it makes you a hypocrite. So how do, how do I do it? How do I know if I'm sincerely wrong or insincerely right? How do I discern this and grow in my demonstration? I love what the psalmist said, Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God. By the way, you ask him that. He'll show you where the wax is covering stuff up. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Test me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, that we might be sincere. Unmixed in substance, pure in our living, right for the right reason. And Paul prays that as they are sincere, in verse number 11, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness by Christ Jesus. You know what? We need 
You know what this world needs? Is not more of me, but more of Jesus in me. That's what I need. That's what they need. We need to ask God to work in such a clear way through us that only he gets the glory. Jesus said in John 15, 4, he said, what, without me, ye can do nothing. In 15, 5, he said that. Sorry, wrong verse. I want you to look at verse 11 of Philippians 1 again. He said, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Who's it by, church? Which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So which are by, all right, we're going to do it again. Which are by, unto the glory and praise of, which are by, unto the glory and praise of, which are by, unto the glory and praise of. Do you notice who didn't even make the equation? Me. Me. Because anything good that comes, man, this life is all about God. Paul goes so far as to say whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. God does it all and is for his glory. It's by Christ Jesus for the glory of God. Of God. And that's Paul's prayer for this church that God would so work that their life would demonstrate that God did it all and that He alone is worthy of all the glory. Church, I think that's a wonderful thing to add to the prayer list. What do you think? That God might grow the demonstration of our faith in such a way. That as we are sincere before him and before this world, that it would be apparent that it, everything that happens here is by him and for him. It is by him and for him. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a place. It's not about a radio station. It's not about a program. It's not about us. It is by him and for him. Let me ask you, when is the last time that your prayer list or your prayer list for our church, our church prayer list, included prayer for spiritual growth? When's the last time we prayed that God would help us abound in love? When's the last time we prayed that God would help us to approve that which was excellent in discernment? When's the last time that we prayed that God would help us to apply these things in our demonstration? You know, church growth matters. And if we want to grow in Christ, maybe we should ask for it. I know we've got a lot of things to pray for, and I don't mean to minimize the physical needs of people. But church, I'm afraid sometimes we maximize the physical needs and minimize the spiritual needs when it ought to be the other way around. Someone once said, it might have been Pete Berry who mentioned it to me, that sometimes we, we spend more time trying to pray saints out of heaven than we do sinners out of hell. 
And again, I don't mean to minimize the spirit of the physical. But church, we cannot fall into the trap where we minimize the spiritual for the sake of the physical. Growth matters. Let me give you this in closing. Growth is also measurable. You know, when I think about my kids growing, it excites me and it terrifies me. I literally probably only have a couple of years left before I have to kill some stupid boy. Yeah, where's the love? I love my little girl, Edgar. But you know what? I want my kids to grow. I want to I, I I see them come to know all that God has for their lives. You know, as they grow, we've seen signs of their, uh, of their maturing and their growing, their abilities. You know, they're playing sports now. They're talking about when they're going to get to start driving my car. Yes, we have that conversation often on the way to school about driving my car. There's a growing sense of self-awareness as they edge even closer to their teenage years. We're coming with uh, more of interpersonal struggles, we'll call it that, um, along the way as they grow in their self-awareness. And, and amongst all of that, though, uh, we, we've got the signs. i got to show you the picture of Timothy sitting in his high chair. Mr. Evan, I think it's back there. Uh, look at this first time he ever sat in his high chair. Uh, Charles, did we not get it up there? Oh, man. Well, you guys be mad at Charles tonight because I gave him the cutest picture in the world, and it didn't make it. I'll show, I can't show it to you after. I'm sick. So sorry about your luck. Um, but Timothy, he sat in his high chair. He was very proud of himself. And so signs of growth are everywhere, right? That's a wonderful thing. Next week, that's right. But you know what, church? It's not just my kids who have growing left to do. We do. And when I think of the growing that our church has left to do, i got to be honest, it both excites me and terrifies me. But I want to grow. I want our church to grow. And church, if that's what we want, then maybe we need to update our prayer list a little bit. Maybe we need to spend some time asking God to give us those things that really matter.